Hello, winners, and welcome once again to the Wrong Button Podcast, where we talk all things nerd, most things video games, and generally anything that tickles our fancy. I am joined today by the Legionnaire of Lifting, Autumn Ivy. Hello. Hi, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I appreciate it. I know that you had uh, surgery, so I'm very excited that you took time out of your day um, to do this. No, I, I appreciate the invitation. It's absolutely my pleasure. That's fantastic. Um, now, I found you through uh, one day I was looking for, uh, so I stopped dressing like everyone else at the gym and wearing like the rock stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was looking for nerd nerd workout wear. Um, and I, I stumbled on Just Say it and then mm-hmm. stumbled on you mm-hmm. uh, and fell in love with uh, one just amazing workout ethic, uh, physique, um, as far as like uh, athletic abilities and prowess cosplay. Mm-hmm. And then I started finding you on, like you pulled up on Twitter or not Twitter and then Twitch and YouTube. So I gradually fell more and more in line with uh, the Legion um, and started watching your content that way. Um, So where I want to start this is probably a little bit different uh, for a lot of it, but uh, your fitness journey. um, Mm -hmm. To start there, a lot of people start with a specific goal in mind, losing weight, Mm -hmm. getting healthy, um, tough mutter, Spartan race, whatever, what have you. What was your fitness journey? Um, it's, it's a lot, but I will do my best. Let me actually, there you go. Turn up my mic a little bit for you. Can you hear me better now? Yes, I can. Um, so it's a bit of a complicated journey to say the least. Uh, I had a lot going on throughout most of my life. Um, I was doing like running and a few things like that when I was around 17, cause I had some life stuff going on and I just felt like I needed to escape. Um, but after that happened, things kind of fell apart around me and I got into kind of a really, a really bad situation with myself, um, just mentally not doing well. Uh, I gained a bunch of weight. I think I was a little over 200 pounds, something like that. And I just kind of like existed that way for several years. Um, you know, I tried to get up and go to the gym. I quit. I tried to get up and, you know, go for walks. I quit. Like it just, it didn't matter what I did. And finally, um, I was actually in the middle of a divorce with my first husband. And uh, there's something to say about divorce. It's it's a position where you will never feel lower in regards to like self-worth than you do feeling like you failed another person, even if it wasn't actually your fault and it was amicable. Um, because there's, there's a lot to play there. And mm-hmm. when that happened, I was so down and out and depressed and so on. I was like, I, I just need to do something. Um, and I kind of found this escape and going to the gym and trying to be healthier and, and find ways to, to navigate that through breathing and through, you know, this, this concept of meditation through literally picking up heavy stuff and putting it back down. And I know that that's actually one of uh, your stickers that you can get is like, we train to fight gods or slay gods and, and anxiety. Uh, and yeah. anxiety. <laughs> yeah. I think I sent that up to my wife and I was like, I, I think I need this sticker. Yeah. Um, because it's really good um i'm glad to hear that it it was a a way for escapism because i know um kind of like you said breathing when you go to the gym it it is a singular mindset because you have Mm -hmm. to focus so much on what you're doing to one not hurt yourself and two actually get benefits out of it very Um, much so yeah being as now that you are now, now that you have come past that point have you noticed, um, do you have any like new milestones that, that you work towards um, as far as like, you know, I want to be able to bench a certain weight, squat a certain weight, anything like that? I, I don't focus on maxes. Um, okay. I don't. It's like, do I like reaching a certain level where I go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to add like 150 pounds today and then I do it and then I pick it up and then I'm like, cool, I can do that now. That's awesome. Like. I do. I do that. I don't actually have like a PR thing where I'm like an avid tracker of like, okay, I increased my weight by 20 pounds in two weeks. Like I respect people who do that. I respect mm-hmm. power lifters. I think they're fucking f- fantastic. I have friends who are hardcore power lifters that I just, they're phenomenal and what they do is great, but I have a really firm belief in having accessible functional strength that is useful to me in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I literally run like, a ranch, a farm, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, we have seven horses and a lot of that is working these 1200 pound animals almost daily. 
um, and being able to lift hay, ba- uh, hay bales and bags of feed and take care of the chickens. And, you know, like there's there's just a lot. It's a lot of physical activity and um, ensuring that I can continue to do that in a healthy manner and not hurt myself in doing it is super important to me. No, and but fun- functional lifting, I feel for I, I know myself, like I've recently gotten back into stretching because I was like, oh, yeah, I can curl. I can, you know, yeah. curl 50s. And yep. I tried to like roll over the other day and I was like, this is a little bit tighter than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so since you like the functional side, you found um, and I remember like showing these to my wife where you started doing um, pull exercises is the best thing I want to call it. Yeah, pole um, fitness. Pole fitness. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't find the word for this. No, it's um, okay. A, a lot of people are like, oh, you mean pole dancing? Like, I mean, technically, yeah, but damn. I, well, it's because to me, it was one of those because I, I, you had one where you pretty much, and I remember the video because it, it reminded me of like uh, Simone Biles when she did the video with her and her boyfriend, like mm-hmm. who can climb the top of a rope faster. Yeah. And she smoked him. Yeah. Uh, where you were, you picked yourself up and cr- like, hand over hand mm-hmm. and then inverted yourself yep um how did you find uh i'm sorry you just said it uh pole exercises or pole fitness pole, pole fitness. fitness yep how did, um, how did you stumble across that so pole fitness was kind of an interesting um an interesting thing because i actually had a friend of mine who had been going to classes down the road from an old workplace um this this uh, coworker of mine had started going and had mentioned it. And I was like, yeah, that seems like it'd be a lot of fun. It would give me, you know, kind of a different form of fitness to focus on um, and just give me a little bit more flexibility uh, in my routine, because that was one thing I was really not paying attention to. And I just I, I don't think people realize that the benefits of pole fitness being what it is, is not just, um, you know, being able to feel. Uh, more confident in yourself. There's there's a sense of confidence, I think, as men and women both that's gained in knowing that you can do these things with your body, which in any other given situation is damn near impossible. Um, but also the acknowledgement of the sensuality and the strength that comes with both. Um, you know, being able to invert and do, uh, they call them choppers. So when you, when you do a shoulder mount and roll backwards and literally lift your entire body weight back and keep your legs open, spread on the pole and then pick yourself up to mount the pole, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the amount of time it takes for a person of any size of any age to get to that, whether you are well-versed in fitness or not is on the same level. Like you are on the same playing field. Um, another lifting friend of mine, um, you know, had, has been doing pole for quite some time as well. And when they first started, they're a phenomenal lifter. Like they, they do crazy amounts of weight for being, um, I I believe they're about five foot two, but they literally do almost damn near triple their body weight half the time with a lot of the stuff they do. And they're amazing. Um, but one of the very first times that this person had started, you know, she struggled (laughs) and she wasn't sure how to get her body right. And if anything, it was a lot harder for somebody who lifted because our, our muscles are more bunched. We're tighter. Um, you know, we don't have quite the flexibility that other, other people might. So, um, discovering that journey and pull was definitely, uh, you know, amazing really. No, I I have to ask, did that, especially with like the Olympics having just passed like back to back years, did -hmm. that turn you on more to like gymnastics or watching flow routines, uneven bars? Like have you entertained anything else that's also more uh, acrobatic, even like parkour free running? um, I finding that I love and adore the people who can do parkour. I did not mean to make that rhyme, but that was pretty (laughs) fantastic. Um, I, I think people who do, parkour are fucking amazing i don't know if i can cuss i'm sorry but you're perfectly um, fine yeah i don't i they're just they're fucking phenomenal like this is the shit that they do with their bodies in terms of calisthenics is amazing and i admire them for it uh i don't like heights so no i will not be scaling and jumping from buildings anytime soon um but, <laughs> but in terms of like gymnastics i've always you know even when i was a kid i was always in awe of a lot of the gymnastic abilities that you know olympians in particular have um especially i don't know what what it's called but the dancing gymnastics where they go and they do the the tumbling performances oh the floor routines yes that okay that's what that's called yes that i wow just wow so much wow i wish i had the capacity to not throw up all over the place and do that many flips um but i personally 
I would I try it? Absolutely. Have I ever been given the opportunity? Not quite. I am a combat sports person, so I'm I'm better built for uh, combat sports and lifting than I am for the actual like speed that comes with the speed and mobility that comes with uh, something like gymnastics or parkour. Which is funny because I like pole fitness, but there's strength to pole fitness that I use to balance it out too. And uh, I know uh, Facebook the other day, you actually were saying that you missed uh, doing combat fitness. Do you have, mm-hmm. um, like, I'm a huge fan of uh, classic martial arts. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate mixed martial arts, but I yep. just enjoy classic. Yeah. What do you What do you gravitate towards? Uh, so I actually started doing Taekwondo when I was in high school. And that was my original introduction to being able to do combat sports um, of my own choosing. Um, obviously when you're a kid, you know, parents force you into different boxes to try to figure out what you're good at because they always want to raise the next big sports star. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because God forbid my, my, uh, my mother and my step, my then stepfather, obviously very much not and hasn't been for quite some time, but, um, yeah, they were sports people. Uh, they did not like the fact that I was into theater and arts and that was, you know, a lot of, a lot of a lot, but getting away from that, um, I think, having having interests in things and being able to um what am i trying to say here i'm like i'm spinning in circles because i've got like 15 topics in one go (laughs) i'm so sorry no i I enjoy the conversation of it um i think being able to find balances in things um is really important and I didn't really get an opportunity to do the things that I liked to do as much as I would have. Um, but then the problem is I was naturally fantastic at sports, but I didn't want to do any of the sports that I was kind of boxed into trying. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to start Taekwondo in high school and, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with it cause I was like, Oh, I, I can hit things and it's okay. <laughs> like it was a really good meditative challenge for me, especially because of the type of person that I was when I was younger. Um, and after that, I kind of like, I liked watching UFC. I liked watching Brazilian jujitsu. I liked watching, you know, um, various forms. I was not the greatest at Taekwondo because there was a lot more, um, avoidance of direct combat than I would have wanted. And I was kind of looking for the challenge, I think. So the red riot just go kind of like straight through a little bit, a little bit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I am the same way. I was, uh, I, I probably most people that I, I know have listened to this would have a similar story where it's like parents like try this sport, do this thing. And mm-hmm. then as, as it grows. Um, and I remember like combatives in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, if you don't get hit in the face, but they teach you like how to get hit in the face. So after that yes. eliminates that fear. And it's like, nah, just straight on. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't yeah. work all the time, but, um, and now with doing, um, pole fitness with doing, um, your home gym as well as, uh as well as uh doing combative fitness do you have a vibe that you go for for your gym like um i know like my gym i don't go to like a commercial gym i have a very fantastic local gym you walk in there and you feel like you're walking into a rocky gym yeah Um, and i i love that feeling of like safety and how it is how do you choose or how did you choose like where you went to to work out and found your place for that level of safety it was never about the safety for me Um, it was always about what I needed to do while I was there. And I noticed one thing, one thing a lot of people, um, you know, bring, bring to my attention or ask me is like, well, how do you do that and not be self-conscious? Um, because I think one of the the major issues that people face a lot of the time is, you know, they want to get started in fitness. They want to go to the gym or, or any gym really. Um, or even swimming, you know, like they want to go do an activity that's physical and they don't feel like you know, they can have the confidence to step into a gym space and do that and do it with reasonable confidence without worrying that someone is watching them or judging them or, you know, making fun of them. That, that, that was always a big one. Um, when I first started going, I just basically picked a gym that was nearby that was affordable because I was on a budget. Um, and I had to work with what I had. So, you know, I, I threw my, my shirt on, I threw my, my, uh, workout pants on, I put my shoes on and I went, and that was just kind of, my balancing act of being like, okay, um, you know, I know, I know that these guys are watching me and they're probably making fun of me because I'm probably not doing this right. But at the end of the day, 
what I started to, I guess, I don't want to say trick because I didn't trick myself into thinking this, but I convinced myself through this style of thought was if you are spending more time watching me and what I'm doing in the gym, then your progress is what's suffering, not mine. I'm here. I'm working. I'm doing what I can do to try to be better every day. And you're the one sitting over on the other side on your phone, tip tapping away and recording me because you think that what I'm doing is stupid. But at the end of the day, who made progress here? You or me? That is probably like the one of the best ways I've ever heard. Like, uh, there's a, there's a saying for like people who go hiking, hike your own hike, lift your own weights, yep. things like that. Yeah, it's probably like the the best way I'm ever going to hear that be said. Mm-hmm. So, kudos for 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 wording it in such a way because, like, thinking back on my own, like, yeah, it, very self conscious the gym, mm-hmm. um, toxic masculinity, hardcore side where it's like, no, I'm not. You know, I look over at the the professional lifters or the mm-hmm. guys that are in there. And I'm like, I do not look like that. I also don't mm-hmm. eat to look like that some days. Um, so that is fantastic to have such a great outlook on it. What um, I love about those guys that you just mentioned, though, is like, especially even with women, women and men, both who are quote unquote professional lifters or people who have very clearly been doing it a while. Mm-hmm. If you actually take the time to ask them something nine times out of 10, the, the true lifters, not because there's there's different kinds and you'll you'll know the difference but the true lifters um will answer any questions you've got and they will do it 100 percent, wanting to help you and wanting to watch you progress and grow because nothing makes a lot of us happier than seeing our peers or the people that you know we've watched want want it come in and actually do it like it's it's a phenomenal feeling um to clarify, I guess, your question too, I like small gyms. Right now I am using a very um, uh, kind of a mom and pop gym. It's almost always empty when I go. And that's all I could ask for in a gym because I like to be left alone. <laughs> like I put my headphones on, I go and like, that's my yoga, you know? Um, now you do over, cause you do over the ear headphones. I do like mm-hmm. athletic earbuds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a really weird one. How did those actually work for you? Like I, like I know I get very warm and and moist and damp. Uh, mm. How does it work for you with over the ear ones? So I've used both. Um, okay. Like I have my little air air AirPods. Yeah, um, my little in ear headphones. The problem is, is like my ears have always been super sensitive. So um, if I get if I use those too often, you get kind of the sweat and the gunky and like it's gross, but it's true. Like you get gunky in your ear, right? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that for me causes a severe ear blockage and can also result in pretty severe ear infections. So I choose to use over the ear headphones because that way I can give my ears a second to breathe and not feel like the, the inner ear canal is, is kind of suffocating. Um, as far as the actual functionality of over ear, if you fit them correctly to your head and you pay attention to kind of what you're doing and how they're sitting on your head, or if you use like um, adhesive and make like a little, uh, like bind the top of your headphones so that they're a little bit tighter fit on the, the crown, they'll stick. Um, mine personally, like I run in mine, you know, I jump in mine, I do sit-ups, I do all kinds of stuff. And the only thing I've ever really had trouble where they slip a little bit is when I'm doing like skull crushers and stuff. And it's because I literally have my head tilted back at an angle where it's hard for them not to slip. Hmm. No, fair, fair enough. I, uh, I do use like the, the beats, the athletic ones that clip behind the ears, but I, yeah. I get the sensitive, like my ears will get inflamed and stuff. So yeah, um, I'm always curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now as we've gone from and we talked about like uh, going from like the self-conscious side of joining the gym mm-hmm. um, and I know the you posted a picture the other day and then you posted something else that said like and the, the trailer for uh, Thor Love and Thunder dropped. Yeah. As um, as more muscular, especially um, for people who, who uh, project female or are female um, and more muscular physiques mm-hmm. uh, start to become mainstream. We've got a mm-hmm. uh, Mirko from My Hero Academia. Yep. Uh, how has, have you noticed like a, a change, um, towards you or towards, uh, whether social media professionally or just like at the gym as characters like that, people start going, uh, mainstream, like, Hey, that is attractive in its own way. Um, and it becomes more celebrated as time goes on. Um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty fantastic to have diverse bodies in media anyway, like fitness, fitness and obviously buff women aside, I think it's important to have that diversity in terms of body, body types anyway. Cause I I've been on all the spectrum as far as body types have been. I have been, you know, um, 
if, per doctor, I have been overweight. You know, um, I was not healthy. I was drinking a lot more than I should have. Uh, you know, and my my mental health was not good. Like I was, I was very much not in a good place. Um, so I've been on that side of things. Then I overcorrected, and when I first started doing fitness, I actually was under eating severely because the coach who uh, I had hired at the time. Um, was not intelligent in relation to his ability to discuss why I was eating as much as I was, which was approximately 14, 1300 to 1400 calories, despite the fact that I was working out, you know, five or six days a week for about uh, one and a half to two hours a day, um, which inherently caused me to kind of I mean, I'm going to be straightforward. I, I wound up with an eating disorder because of it. And now every time I put anything in my mouth that tastes delicious, I immediately berate myself for about, you know, the rest of the afternoon um, because it's it's a reactive thing of like, oh, my God, I'm going to gain this weight back. When I was eating that way, though, I had dropped down to like 145 pounds and I had not weighed that since literally like sixth grade. Because even in high school, I weighed about 150, 160 pounds. Like I've always been relatively you know, well-built. Um, so now, you know, I, I've put on more muscle. I've understood that eating is super important to my regimen and what I'm doing and to keep myself healthy, I, I have to eat. Um, so having been on all kind of all of those sections of body form, um, I think having people to look up to and to, you know, and to kind of be like, Hey, like, I like that character. And I, I feel comfortable and confident that I see myself in them and the way that they look resonates. And this feels awesome to see myself in a, in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the, the buff representation goes, uh, I get asked to cosplay those characters like clockwork. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from. If I've even acknowledged their existence, somebody is in my inbox asking me to do them solely because they're buff. And I will admit that that does get on my nerves sometimes, 100%. Um, <laughs> I am a firm believer in cosplaying characters that resonate somehow. That's my personal, like what I like to do personally. Um, if a character doesn't necessarily speak to me, then I don't really want to do them. Um, so it, it can be kind of hard to navigate the, the media aspect of it when that is the, um, that is the desire of other people is to do the characters that are like, oh, you would fit this bill rather than, no, so, I just... Right, solely because of the way they're built. Yeah. Now, because I, I, I've seen you've done um, Hawks. Yeah. Um, done Geralt. Yes. Um, you've done Poison Ivy. Of course. Poison Ivy was actually, that's where my name Ivy comes from. Poison Ivy was a long-term love in one of my very first costumes that I decided to do. So, yep. Uh, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here, like going through. I have. I had them all, like right here. And I know you also <laughs> did. Uh, I think you did Mirko from I did. My Hero. Yeah, she is. She is a badass. I. Uh, I. I have. It's like the first anime I got my wife to to like watch, and she got super vested in. Yes. Um, and then going to uh, Demon Slayer. So nice. Um, I was really excited when she came in because I was like, oh, it, it was not even buff, but like a muscular representation. Yep. Uh, for a female character. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you have any characters that, that you want to cosplay that maybe are, you know, different from how someone would perceive perceive you? Oh, like in general, like like personality or body? Like what Ooh. do you? Let's start with personality. Then we'll go, what would we'll do body type? So, okay. But I already have an answer for personality because I, I have been there. There's been a question of a doubt. Um, one of my other first cosplays was Revy from Black Lagoon. And that's that's why I have her tattoo. Like I get shit on for having the tribal on my arm by people who don't realize it's actually like from something. Mm -hmm. um, but Revy has always had kind of this like nihilistic, very like just over everybody's bullshit. She's very quick to react. She's very brash. She's very violent. Um, but there are aspects to her character that go a lot deeper than that, especially when you start to kind of progress through her story and learn and understand who she used to be, who she became and why she became the person that she is now. Um, but I get people who are very confused being who I am um, as they see me and like being relatively upbeat and trying to push for the positive thing to do a character like Revy and want to do a character like Revy um, with people not realizing like they, they don't know anything about me beyond what, they know about me now 
Um, people don't know about my past. People don't know about what happened to me growing up or, you know, any of any of that kind of thing. So it's always funny to me to see this kind of reactive like, well, what's this for? And have that happen with with that kind of character. Um, in terms of bodies, I mean, obviously, like I've cosplayed men and gender bent the men. So I feel like that's the most extreme <laughs> example. Um, go ahead. I, 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 I've seen, um, cause I know you did, uh, Oh God, I just, I totally just lost it. Um, I know you did, uh, Dante from devil may cry forever. Uh, and always that's my, that's my boy. What, why Dante? D listen, look, all right. Dante, Dante. No, I, okay. <laughs> Hold on. Yes. He's hot, but that's not the only reason. I, um, not. it's the hair. Dante legitimately saved my life when I was 12 um, and 13 years old, because like my first experience with Devil May Cry games um, was kind of on accident. And I had rented, um, you know, Devil May Cry is kind of like this, hey, I'll check this out because it looks kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I was going through a lot during that time. <laughs> I was not okay. And I needed something to sink my teeth into to be somewhere else for a little while. Um, and Devil May Cry was it. And seeing this character, especially Devil May Cry 3 Dante, you know, because that was, I mean, technically we would have been similarly aged because the whole point and the implication is like he's late teens, early 20s kind of deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess being able to connect to this character and like having this, this underlying brash attitude of like i'm gonna kick this jukebox and then we're gonna get started and he was always like crazy and wild and you know there was this there was this party aspect to him that just it was always funny to me like it was funny to see this character perform and do these amazing things but still be sarcastic out of it but as you progress you start to realize that he's he's actually just like gigantically depressed and has lost a lot of people that he's ever cared about in his entire life and that's been really hard. And he literally copes by humor. Um, so I attached to him because my coping method was very much humor. And I had never actually gotten to process that until that time period when I had picked up that game. So Dante is an extremely important character to me. And, and I've carried him through just like, you know, all the Devil May Cries have kind of progressed. I've carried him up to Devil May Cry 5 as he is now. And I have never felt closer to a character in my life than to be like, you know what? I'm just going to take a nap and wait this one out. I'll be here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I uh, I fell in love with um, with Nero. Um, yeah, I'm also yeah, yeah. A, a huge Johnny Young Bosch mark. Like my, I, I will sit there every Every time my wife and I watch, hey, that's Johnny and Bosch. And she's like, can, like, I know you want to marry him, but I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure he's married. And I'm like, well, can't I can hold out hope. I vibe. Um, Super nice guy. I completely understand. <laughs> oh, incredibly nice. Every every convention I've ever seen him mm -hmm. at, he's been uh, really nice. Um, yeah. So so Dante, Devil May Cry. Yep. Um, so then I uh, the question there would be, when they did the DMC reboot for him, mm -hmm. how I did... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. how, how did that feel for you, especially like, you know, th this love for a character that is iconic and you can relate to so much transferring to something like stark in comparison and how different they are? Ninja Theory really blew the load on that one. Um, so I don't see DMC as any any direct correlation or understanding of Devil May Cry and any attachment or iteration whatsoever. And, and really, it isn't. Um, I know that their implication was like, this is a, a remake and this is how we're doing it. But like, I literally took it as that. And, and my brain goes, OK, this is not the same story. These are not the same characters with the same traumas and the same ideals. Um, I don't necessarily like fully hate the game. I think that there was a lot of stuff where they tried really, really hard. Like it was a try hard game. Um, but I did like some aspects like... Um, you know, the uh, the music was was really cool. Like I liked the the noisier tracks and stuff like that. And like Combi Christ had involvement. Um, I did like a few of the gameplay elements. I did like a handful of the storyline stuff separated from the original iteration of what Devil May Cry was. But was it a great game? Fuck no. But, you know, I'm not I'm not someone who's going to shit on something that they gave it an honest go, especially when I got what I wanted out of it, which was Devil May Cry four and five. So fuck it, whatever. Yeah, Devil May, Devil May Cry 4, 5, fantastic. Yes. 
very much oh, gosh, so fantastic games um so so going back i know you said uh you would you would cosplay men would be the or cosplaying as a, as a male character would be the other extreme do you have a do you have a male character that you're like you know what this is one character that i just really want to like go ham and like cosplay this character oh you know i so doing an actual male character mm-hmm. um I, I mean, I've, I've done, like, I've done my, my, as a non, as, as an NB child, um, I have my style of makeup that I like to do for a character, a male character of my own, who's an OC called Wolfhead. Um, but if I were to do the actual, like, full makeup and everything else and, like, actually, um, go into the, the crossplay realm, um, Handsome Jack was always one that I wanted to do. Uh, he is just a terrible human being, but. I always wanted to try it because the makeup was always so cool to me. Um, but for now, anymore, I, I'd probably just do Geralt again. <laughs> like, to be fair, I don't know. I'd have to think about that question. I completely understand. And Handsome Jack, like, uh, it, it is because um, Revy from Black Lagoon, like, like you said, she's um, probably like my favorite episode of that was uh, there's an episode, I can't remember which episode it is. I'm uh, pretty sure it was season two, mm-hmm. but she sees kids playing in the street. Yep. And they're like, they're doing the kid thing where it's like pew pew. And it's like, oh, you got me. And it's yes. so dramatic. And then you mm-hmm. watch her go. That's not what it looks like. It has like a PTSD moment. And she like yeah. falls over to show death. Yep. Um. So going from, you know, especially like seeing your Legion, very positive, push through, take care of yourself to uh to handsome Jack, Um. especially from the makeup standpoint. Uh, have mm-hmm. you ever done like a, have you ever, I'm going to ask the question, like, cel-shaded yourself um, to try makeup like that? I did. I actually did some cel-shading for Amara for Borderlands 3. Um, and then even before that, I had actually done Femme, Jan- uh, Femme Handsome Jack previously. So I've done a female version of Handsome Jack, and I did the cel-shading. It is a fascinating, like, I'm not the greatest at it, but I have seen some people who can cel-shade like a motherfucker, and I commend them for their abilities because it's it is b- above and beyond me. I, I I can only imagine just because I, I know like one layering, uh, layering all of uh all of that makeup and then the contouring just has to be, uh, exceptional to to do that. It's um, super intense, yeah. And now I guess the one of the other things to then ask would be, um, considering uh cosplaying and, uh, uh cosplaying is you actually you you did or you do partner with uh, just say in gear I do. Um, to do uh, like you one rock all of their outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide that? Like, I, I take it you've worked with other sponsors. How do you, I guess, decide your sponsor, like not from like a business standpoint, but from like, you know what I would put vested interest in this. I don't, I don't really have sponsors. Oh, uh, <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just like, just to clarify, like I, I know that there are influencers or like, uh, you know, content creators or stuff that are like, yes, so Razor sponsors me. And like, that's great for them. I'm happy for them. I personally don't really have sponsors per se. Um, I have like ambassadorships, um, which I, I know some people are going to be like, well, that's the same thing, Autumn. But like, to me, it's, it's really not, um, because I'm still paying for the product mostly. The only time I ever get kickbacks is if people use the code. And even then, like sometimes I'll get the bonus of like, hey, here's the bonus because you sold so much stuff and people really used your code and that was great. But like, it's kind of a discount because I still have to put into the product to get that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like this weird kind of person or like a like personal um, Ouroboros effect where it all comes back in the wash anyway. Um, but I used to do some stuff for Courtney Olson with girl clothing and, and I think my, my code is still active and stuff. And I love, I love her company. I love her as a person. I love the fact that her company specifically drives for, um, drives people away from the concept of sizing using body measurement and more so represents them as people. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that was a fantastic culture. Um, just saying though. Uh, I kind of slipped in because I really liked the style of the clothes. I liked, you know, being able to like 
power up, I guess it's going to sound funny, but like power myself up through being able to wear the, you know, wear some of the merch for my favorite characters and kind of like get into that mindset of like, all right, I'm going to do this. Like if they can do it, I can do it. Like, let's kick some ass, you know? No, I, I completely, uh, I had one of the old shirts where it said like uh, at the gym training to go super saiyan. Hell yeah. And it was like, people would be like, why do you go to the gym? And I'd be like, well, mm-hmm. in case a mech ever falls to the planet or yeah. uh, martial art fighting aliens, I want to try to stand a chance. Yeah, see, you get it. Yeah, that's that completely makes sense. And so now your ambassadorship to uh, to just saying uh, mm-hmm. makes sense because I did see the the girl clothing one here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what I take it was it just like it was just the message as well as hey, this fits my personality of why I get out of bed, why I do uh, and work out the way I do. Yeah, a lot of it was, you know, being able to, I guess, like, give people some insight into who who I was based on the character I was, you know, the characters I was representing, kind of, but also like channeling them. I just a lot of people, a lot of people's first question with things is, well, questions or statements is, well, I I wish I was as motivated as you or, well, how did you get so motivated? And the, the truth of the matter is I'm not fucking motivated at all. I barely want to get out of bed half the time. I, I'm i sitting here having this conversation with you thinking about all the things that I've got to do for chores outside and about how I need to go take my horse for a walk. And like, I don't want to go for a walk. I'll do it for my horse, but I don't want to do it. But at the end of the day, it was never about motivation. And it was always about the consistency of getting up and doing that. And if you have a person or a character, um, you know, or or something to drive you that says, hey, I'm going to do this because I know that they would have done this or I'm going to do this because I know that I can do this. And I see myself reaching this goal of this person because I can keep pushing and I can do better, you know, and, and sometimes having that's why I do the daily motivations. Sometimes having that little voice in the back of your head say, you know what, like, I know shit sucks right now, but you are capable and you are amazing and you you can do it. Even if it's just for a minute, you still got up and you still fucking did it. And that alone is an achievement. So just saying kind of followed through with that for me because I was able to do that with these characters and keep going. God, feels like I'm talking to like a version of myself. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why. Get out of bed, people. You can do it. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Um, so going with X, I know you said you have to you have to walk your horse. Um, I know that you grew up with horses, mm-hmm. uh, went for a period without them. Um, are we talking about rock walking um, Munin, the white one? Boulder. Boulder. Yeah. Um, Munin. It's Munin. It, technically it's Munin, but Munin, Munin to, you know, to the, I guess, the here, um, here pond folk. Um, but no, Balder actually, um, is the one who is going for a walk. So Balder's still a stud, uh, which means he is an intact male. Okay. Um, and he may or may not stay that way depending on kind of training and the way that things work out, because there are some, there are some intact males that can't, they are very difficult to manage and handle. And if you don't have the right training and the right person to handle them and they are not trained properly, it can go very badly for everybody. Um, so right now, part of his desensitization, um, and part of his training is he's being worked, um, as, as much as we can to try to, I guess, present him with potential, uh, ohs now so that we can work through it and kind of negotiate it with him and say, okay, you were going to react like this, or you were going to go chase that mare because she's in heat. This is how we're going to handle that instead. Um, and it's just really important to be cognizant of your animals. And that goes with dogs too. Um, dog people will absolutely understand. You don't want to take out, you know, your dog who's never seen the outside world beyond your house and take them into a store without acknowledging that sometimes things can happen. So you want to take care of your dog. You want to take care of yourself and you want to take care of the people around you. Same concept. Got it. Socializing, doing very much. Yep. Cause you do, uh, you do, um, cause, uh, and can you can you say your white horse's name one more time? I'm sorry. Munin. You can just Munin. say Munin. It's okay. Yeah. Well, words matter. So Munin. Um, I know he he's a rescue, correct? Um. So Munin is not necessarily one of the rescues. He came from a situation where he was what we call like cowboyed on, um, which means at some point when he was younger and he was being broke, they missed a lot of the necessary training that would have made him um, 
properly cognizant of trusting people Mm -hmm. and trusting people properly from what from what handling we've done and what retraining we've had to do we've kind of discovered um not only does he have a tendency to impinge his nerves in his neck as a defense mechanism because it, it took me a while to get this horse to trust me properly when i first brought him home he wanted to bolt at everything he was panicky he was anxious and like it took quite some time for him to go oh okay well you're my person now but you're gonna protect me right I'm like, yeah, man, I got you. I got your back always. And he's like, okay, well, if you promise. So now from the ground, him and I are good. But I handed him off to my trainer, my friend of mine, um, who who does uh, horse training and who assists us with ours. And part of what we had figured out is that if you swing a rope anywhere near him whatsoever, he immediately goes into flight mode. Now, to anybody from the outside, they'd be like, well, yeah, if you were swinging a rope at my face, like, of course, I'd panic. But this is a horse that would turn over backwards if he thought somebody was going to swing at him. And there's a difference between a safe position of desensitization and there was a uh, there was neglect or abuse in some capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's it's starts to get pretty clear depending on certain actions that are made because there are only certain things that will trigger this and one of them is not trusting his rider as well he panics um so i purchased him initially as the understanding of him being um a performance horse that could kind of i could work with and and we could work him into doing um you know barrel racing as part of his part of his regimen barring that that was something he he wanted to do Um, And I know that some people think that sounds wild and I won't go too in depth in it because I know we've got limited time. But like, I am a firm believer that your animals are very much capable of choosing to tell you when they don't want to do something or don't like doing something. And that includes a job. And for horses, that's super important. Um, You know, you you may get a horse to be, I don't know, like a like a jumping horse, right? To like go over jumps and stuff. But they can't do it to save their life. And they let you know that by literally going, yeah, I don't I'm good. And they like half-ass it right but then you take them out to a racetrack and they peel around the corners so with munin's case it was a little different um because he had a lot of body stuff going on that was not normal um we started to pick up that he had some impingements that should not have been there he was very defensive of, of certain parts of his body um he's very defensive about his feet which makes us wonder um if he was not tied which unfortunately can happen in you know still in certain certain areas of the world um but he's doing much better so what is untied i I, i've been around horses um i had an ant with horses i had allergies as a kid so i don't always get close to them because it's okay the correct word is hobbling um but but sometimes it's not done in the correct form that it needs to be done and what people will do is literally rope their legs and pull them taut oh um yeah so it's just he was not one of the the like we got him from a from a kill barn situation horses, but very much he came from the girl that I purchased him from was very, very nice. I appreciated her, but she was very soft and it was very clear that she had kind of been put in this position of overcorrection as an owner to baby him versus what she had gotten him from, which is the the cowboying situation where he was not appropriately managed. Um, had, had he proceeded onward with someone who was not willing to put the time and the energy into a retrain, um, he very well could have been an extremely dangerous horse. Um, it would not have surprised me if he had bowled somebody backwards because he had no awareness, uh, body awareness either with a lot of situations, which can put the rider and the handler in pretty bad danger and the horse too, depending on where you're at. How did you, how did you come to get into like uh i don't want to call it like horse therapy um horse retraining and and because like i i've seen dogs I, i've worked with like a uh canine off lease canine in our mm-hmm. areas like a really big prior service vet guys take care of dogs and yeah sa- same concept where they're like you talk and you know the dog how did you get yeah. into it with uh, equestrian or with horses i've i've my whole life i mean i i grew up you know, with horses, I, I was on the back of a horse at six months old with my grandpa holding on to me. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've lived and breathed horses for a very, very long time of my life. And unfortunately, you know, life got in the way shit happens and you get separated from the thing that you loved and it sucks and it hurts. Um, 
some things happened in my life when I was 17 and I was brought back to it for a little while, which was something that I needed at that time. And, uh, you know, I realized how much I missed it. Um, I had some, some pretty negative shit come out of that as well because of one particular woman that I will forever resent my entire life. Um, I don't think that's something I'll let go ever, but she taught me not to ever trust, uh, someone like that with that kind of a snaky personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was able to kind of recover and learn from it despite everything. Unfortunately, um, you know, I lost access to horses again for a very long time. And then I grew up and I said, you know what, I'm going to do the things that I want to do and I'm going to thrive and I'm going to succeed. And this is how we're going to do this. So I worked my ass off for years. You know, I, I, I did the corporate bullshit job that I had to do because it was required. Um, I, I was an adult for quite some time. I saved up money. I busted my fucking ass. And then I bought a house that had horse property. And I started over and I started doing the thing that I missed and I loved. That's fantastic. Good. Honestly, good. Good for you. I I, I, I know that that corporate slog. Um, yeah, I, I just got out of it. Um, I'm and, so happy for you. Sincerely. <laughs> thank you. Seriously. I, like you, I, People go like, yeah, I do the corporate slog. And I'm like, oh, we have that that same like wavelength. Yeah. Uh, so I guess now. Um, now, knowing that you've you've worked with horses, mm-hmm. uh, one, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this like uh, combat training, mm-hmm. incredibly physically fit. Yep. Uh, what is your draw towards horror games and the horror genre? I love I love how you double backed. Like we had this like heartwarming, really heartfelt. Like yeah, I chased my dreams and I did it. And then you're like, yeah. By the way, why do you like violence and gore? What's your fucking problem? <laughs> Not even violence and gore because you played, uh, you played uh, the House of Ashes, the Until Dawn. Yep, absolutely. Um, and it, you do the 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 chiller readings uh, and the voiceovers for that. Yep. Um, and. To, to quote Star Wars, you look like you're strong enough to pull the arms off a gun gar. Uh, <laughs> so, it, like, I I watched The Mummy when I was a kid, and I became terrified of insects yeah. and black scarabs, and yep. I, I don't think I've still gotten over that. But I, I see someone like yourself, and it's like, I, gore is fine. I can I can deal with, like, a slasher, but, like, horror yeah. things where I'm like, I feel like if Ghostface ever came up to you, you'd be like, look, dude, just go find someone else. You're, this you're is ab- worth your time. No, you're absolutely correct. And I know, like, listen, I know that there's a lot of people out there in the world who are like, yeah, well, I could stand up to Ghostface. But, like, you know, you know the people who actually could and the people who are, like, saying that because they want to be brave and, like, come mm-hmm. off that as that guy. Um, I will I will say this much. I have been through too much in my life um, and kind of faced too much in my life to be afraid of a human being as like the worst thing imaginable like people i have come to terms with the fact that human beings do very evil things there are terrible people who exist in the world and that at the end of the day you know we can only do so much to change the tides of what's going to happen regardless especially when we least expect it i think that horror is a representation of that expectation and the things that people are, are you know are kind of afraid of and the way that they handle it um, and, you know, with Chilling App, for example, being able to bring those fears to life for people through actually hearing it, especially when it's like a first person narration, like I am the character. Mm-hmm. I work very hard to give them the level of horror that they would expect to hear listening to like, you know, seeing watching a movie or something. Um I love horror. I grew up um, being shunned away from horror because like, oh, no, like you can't see that. And like somehow I always found my way into it anyway. You know, I grew up with a with this monster that my mom's first husband used to call the Don Don. And it was like this this javelina skulled monster that used to lurk in the hallways of his house. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they used to feed us terrible horror stories. I had cousins that locked me in a suitcase when I was young and like zipped it up and left me in there. Like I I've had some weird shit happen to me. So the least of my concerns is horror games. So my ability to laugh at them and kind of like work through them is me processing things while also kind of going, yeah, you know what? This shit could be worse. (laughs) 
especially like what was it uh house of ashes literally like ancient mesopotamian alien vampires like i can't get over that and i'm still mad about it it was it was definitely a lot um especially coming (laughs) off of like until dawn's oh bad so bad uh i thought until dawn is probably like it oh it was a one-time great playthrough yeah um and if you get other people to do it for the first time i still think it's brilliant to do it with the other people um when it comes to doing to doing voiceovers, though, because you, you've been through so much and you've accomplished so much, mm-hmm. do you find it? Do you find yourself taking multiple takes, or do you find it harder to get into a place to be like, "Hey, how can I can can I actively capture the the horror or the the anxiety that I should be feeling here?" So here's the hilarious true story fact: all of the stories that you hear me read, whether it's like Mr. Creepypasta's channel, chilling, or if it's like a, a duo on somebody else's channel, or even like something I personally recorded for like my Patreon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the very first time I've read that story. Huh. Yep. I I do not pre-read the stories that I am provided. Um, I read them and I, I react to them authentically as I'm narrating. So, for example, there was a story that I narrated for Chilling um, that I think, I don't remember what episode, it was a multi-episode uh, story, but it was <clears throat> it was about a compound outside of this town, like a military compound outside of this town. Some, I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, but an event occurs um, that I did not see coming, and I was reading as the character. So when this event happens, it triggers this really hardcore emotional response in the character. And you can hear me like trying to like sniff and snort and draw back snot because I'm like, I have tears running down my face as I'm trying to narrate this story. And I know that this event has happened and I like don't know how to process it either. So like some of the time you hear that, that's actually me crying over something because I did not expect it to happen. No, that's I. 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 Like, I'm just trying to think of like reading something scripted in, in multiple takes to get that inflection to be able to feel that and process that in, in one take is 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 like kudos to your craft. Like that is uh, stellar uh, to say to say the least to be able to do that. I should clarify that is that is n- the way I do narrations. Is mm-hmm. it normal? Absolutely not. Oh, yeah. For like video games and stuff, like if I'm doing voice acting, um, I can't tell you what it was. But I did a role for Mortuary Assistant, for example. And when you are provided lines, you go, oh, yes, these lines. Okay. You read them. You go, well, I think I'm going to do them this way. You perform them. And for me personally, I do anywhere from two to three takes as backups as well, just to be super safe. Um, But my goal is like as an actor, as a voice actor, as as who I am as a person and like the things that I, I strive for, if I don't nail it on that first take, like that's my goal. My goal is to nail it every single time, the very first time. Have you ever had, have you ever done anything like outside of that where you like it, like even if it was like practicing to yourself on the takes or have you had, is there is there an emotion or a take that gives you the most trouble? happiness <laughs> like i can just... be depressed as fuck all day long man like you ask me to read a comedy line and then be sad about it like i can fucking do that but if you're like hey so you're jovial right so this character is really happy i'm like <laughs> what, what? <laughs> i'm like, dying on the inside why are you coming to me with this what the fuck yeah no um i mean j- jokes aside like i do struggle sometimes with certain line deliveries when it's coming from like a, an emotionally happy place because that is a you know that is a very sp- i guess the word is sparse emotion for me sparse sparse emotion sparse. for me yeah oh. um you you mask that very well especially with with, with i said the, the the daily motivation um and uh and just like the the positivity as well as a lot of the the messaging that you put out um definitely would be one that you wouldn't at least I know I wouldn't pick that. Like, of course, like there's there's trauma there. Typically, it's like I laugh the loudest, and person who laughs the loudest is generally the person who like you're like, oh, what happened to you? Um, I I guess <clears throat> I guess the big thing is that I don't see my motivations or the way that I present things as being necessarily happy. Right. So when I go to do these motivations, I'm not coming from a place of like, 
jovial life experience. I think that happiness happens in moments. And I think to believe anything otherwise that you have to be constantly happy is a fucking lie. And, you know, if, if, if you have someone who's, who genuinely is like, I'm having a good day, I'm really happy for them because they deserve to have that good day. But then life happens things fall apart around them, stuff starts to crumble, and they, they're left with these pieces in their hands, and they don't know what to do with these pieces anymore because they've spent so much time assuming that what they were was happy, when in all reality, all they were doing was living moment to moment so that they could embrace those little moments of happiness that they could get until things fell apart again. So when I do the daily motivations, it isn't about grabbing the happiness. It's taking what I've learned from that happiness and from those moments and integrating it into this is what I try to do to maintain that level of normalcy for what I am as a person, grasp the happiness that I can in the moments that I can, be be one with them when, when I can, and then acknowledge that sometimes you're just fucking sad for no reason and that that existing emotion happens too. You, you articulate that incredibly well. Um, I, I think a lot of people, you're, you're right. It's the, the happiness that, no, this is my life. Like my life is a, is a happy life. Um, and then it's, but it's trying to weave the happiness in and hold on to it, even though you're going through the times that aren't always the best. Yeah. Listen, anybody who's ever read work like Merc with a mouth would understand. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot there, uh, with that, uh, with, with work with the mouth. I mean, you can even take hell Alice in Wonderland and, and mm-hmm. read it for a sign with PTSD and it's a yep. children's picture book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess where we're going to end this on is, uh, cause you also do, um, you'll stream and sometimes mm-hmm. you stream as a VTuber. Yes. Um, uh, is that Wolfhead? Yes. Well, that's, that's the, the NB version of Wolfhead, um, but yes. So for for because uh, I take it traditional lichen is what it's more modeled after. More or less, yeah. She's kind of a, a self designed So she's like a little bit mix. Uh, uh, an artist, an ama- phenomenal artist named Dog Blood had actually drawn a version of me as a werewolf, and I fell in love with it. And then I kind of like mashed that version together with another version I was given by a few other artists, and I was like, "Fuck it, this is what she looks like now." Um, so they they were kind of born from that. Um, human Wolfhead, who is male, um, actually has black hair and looks a little bit different. Um, but I don't have, I think there's maybe one part, like one piece of art of existence of them. But yeah, uh, Wolfhead is, is that character for me. That's my, my little avatar. Now, when you, when you stream as, especially like with the, up, the, the upkeep of, uh, I'm sorry, not the upkeep, but the, the, the explosion of PNG tubers, VTubers, um, now being, do you find yourself that you get to be different because you are playing as them or is it just like, no, this is a, a more maybe raw form of yourself? It's, it's a little bit of both. Like Wolfhead is their own character who mm-hmm. really loves pie and especially loves the neighbor's trash pie. But um, I personally don't go digging in the trash and pie is not my favorite dessert. Uh, but some of the sarcasm that comes into Wolfhead is very much just me. Um, you know, just kind of in its, like you said, in, in kind of a more raw form. Trash pie? Trash pie. Yeah, she loves trash pie. That's their, that's their thing. Like just pie that's in a trash can or is it, is, the, is there actually something else to trash pie? So, so the neighbor, um, like throws the, the pies that aren't any good anymore, like the fillings and the crust and stuff into the trash can and mm. Wolfhead, like they just, they just go for the pie in the trash can, but like, that's their favorite kind of pie. Like they could have a fresh one sitting on the, you know, on the thing cooling, but they'll always go for the trash pie. I like it. I <laughs> Nothing beats a good trash pie. Nothing beats a good trash pie. Yeah. Um, and we are sitting at that hour mark. So, uh, to go ahead, that way you can go give, uh, Balder a walk uh, he probably <laughs> so rightly deserves um where can we find you uh so i am xx xx under pretty much everything um just automivy in general works direct.me slash xx xx is my primary link to find all of the places that i exist um there are a few video games coming out that i had the pleasure of voice acting in which includes of course the mortuary assistant check out uh, check out any of the dread xp games if you have not yet um there is also a, <laughs> a mermaid game, which I listen, 
it's something else, but it's on my page. You can check it out. It is literally Murfight. You fight as me, as an octopus wrestler who's also a doctor. It's pretty amazing. Uh, otherwise, check out Chilling App. That's the primary place you can find me and my narrations, uh, Patreon, and so on. Fantastic. And winners, as always, you can find us Monday through Friday, Mr. and Mrs. Play, Monday and Wednesday. Uh, right now, Couch Co-op, still on Tuesdays and Thursdays, as well as the podcast here, the first Saturday of each month on uh, all of your podcast app of choice. Uh, hey, Alexa, subscribe to Wrong Button Podcast. Remember, you're all winners out there. Keep it weird. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining me, Autumn Ivy. Thank you. Bye. Bye.